but before we get started this morning, I'm going to do a review in just a second. Before we get started this morning, I want to show you a picture of a 1968 uh, Chevy van that was found uh, in southern Missouri close to Rolla in a field of a guy who lived in a trailer that didn't look a whole lot better than the Chevy van. Now, as we go throughout the sermon, I simply want you to keep that image in your mind, okay? Got it? We good? You need to look at it for a couple seconds longer. Just keep that image in your mind. Let me review with you for just a moment or two uh, what Paul has said about discipleship in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, and we're going to look at verse 10 this morning. Uh, Paul begins by explaining who we were before we met Jesus. So if you're here this morning, you're a disciple of Christ, you're following him, uh, this is your background. If you're a person this morning who's wondering what it means to be in a relationship with God, you, you haven't been convinced yet that Jesus is the one in whom you should put your trust, this is, this is the current state of your condition. And it's important we understand that because sometimes Christians can act like they never sinned in the past. Sometimes disciples of Jesus, people who claim to, claim to follow Christ, can act very self-righteous and can look down their noses on others. It's also important that we understand it from the other side of the coin that those of us who are, who are maybe exploring or wondering or we've said we're here out of politeness because somebody invited us, but we're really not buying it, we need to understand the current condition of our souls lest we have a false sense of assurance. So for all of us, here's where we fall or have fallen in the past. We could go uh, to the, that, thank you very much. I think I gave them to you in the wrong order. We were, Paul says in the first three verses, spiritually as good as dead even while we were physically alive. Paul says we, we're, we're humans and we're living and we're breathing, but spiritually our relationship with God has been disconnected to the point where our spiritual connection is broken, therefore we have no spiritual life within us. He then says that we all have been walking, have been living our lives in intentional rebellion and continual failure to do what is right. So the words that Paul uses are we're we are walking, we're living, we're intentionally, uh, an intentional rebellion. We are committing transgressions. In other words, we know what we should do, but we just decide not to. We're going to go the other way and do what we shouldn't do. We also continually fail to do that which is right. And those are called sins. And we are practicing them. We are living that way. But we are also accountable to God's justice. God created a perfect world. He put man and woman in a perfect world. And we were in a perfect relationship with him. And God blessed Adam and Eve, our original parents. And he called them to a lifelong relationship with him in a glorious planet, in a glorious universe. And, and Adam and Eve, for some amount of time, enjoyed that relationship. But eventually, they went their own way. They intentionally rebelled against God. And God is right to hold to his justice. God is right to say, wait a minute, there's something wrong here, and we can't just sweep it under the rug, and we can't just pretend it never happened. We've offended a holy God, and therefore he is just to hold us accountable for our sins. That's what it means to be under God's wrath. It means someday you and I are going to have to answer for our sins. We're going to have to be held accountable. That's where we were. 
But if we, could, if we go back to the other screen that we had just a second ago, but God, and there's the transitionary word in ver, or phrase in verse 4, God is rich in mercy. God has mercy overflowing. He has more mercy than Warren Buffett has money. He, he knows no end of his mercy. And because of that, he has, actedly, he has acted graciously towards us, towards those of us, all of us who rebelled against him. He's not been vindictive. He's not, sorry about that, I don't think that was me. He's not, he's not instituted his full wrath yet. He has offered compassion and kindness by making us alive in Christ. And I've underlined that, that in because we need to remember that. God doesn't make us alive through 10 or 12 or 15 different options. It's not a spiritual smorgasbord. God has paid the price for my sin and for your sin through the blood and life of his only son. And therefore, when we are in Christ, we are alive. Apart from Christ, we are still in a, a state of spiritually being dead. And he has secured our eternal future. So what does that mean for us? Where do we take that argument? Where do, where do we land in the way in which we live our lives. And that's what Paul wants to talk about in chapter 2, verse 10. Just one very short verse. But hear the word of God this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Paul says, therefore, we are his workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's just one short verse. Let me read it one more time. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this one short yet very poignant verse. Father, what Paul says here, inspired by your Holy Spirit, uh, encompasses a lifetime of following Jesus. It offers a great promise and a great hope for us. There's, a, there's a, a foundation here that if we believe it and we trust it, causes us to be secure in who we are in Christ. And it calls those of us who have perhaps have not yet put our faith in him to realize the, the vastness of your grace, that it goes beyond just our salvation, just uh, making sure that we have been forgiven for our sins, but it gives us a context for life. When we look at our lives and we say, I wonder if there's any meaning, if there's any purpose for me, we can come to this verse and we can be astounded at the depth of the purpose you have for your people. So Father, we pray that you would allow us now to worship you with our minds by teaching us. Lord, my teaching's inconsequential. It's not important. It holds no weight. It's just one more person's opinion. Father, we need the eternal truth of God to sink deeply into our, our hearts and our minds and our souls. And we pray that you would do just that this morning. Forgive me for my sin. Don't let me stand in anyone's way of knowing the truth of your gospel through Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, the first thing I want us to see in, uh, in this passage is that we are actually a masterpiece of God when we are in Christ. Paul says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And again, there's that phrase, in Christ Jesus. If you study Pauline theology, if you read the works of the Apostle Paul, <clears throat> you will see that phrase over and over and over and over again. It is his favorite way of describing what it means 
to be a disciple. We are in Christ. We are secure in him. Our sins have been covered by him. Our identity is now found in him, and that makes us a masterpiece of God. The language that Paul uses in this part of the sentence, two words I want to point out to you. The first is workmanship, and the second is, is that word created. That, that what Paul is saying here is he's taking us back to Genesis chapter 1. When God spoke the universes into being, when God created the, what we know now to be the planet and the galaxies and the solar systems and, and all of the universes in which, we, in which we live, that Paul uses that kind of language to describe you if you're in Christ Jesus. Remember when God looked at his creation, uh, at the end of each day, he would look at what he'd done and he would say, that is good. It pleased God to be uh, creating all that he created, and we're included in that when it comes to our salvation. So think about the most picturesque uh, scene you've ever seen in all creation, the most amazing night where you've seen stars hanging in the sky, and you're just you're awestruck by the beauty, by the wonder, by the, by the, the overwhelmingness. I don't even think that's a word of it all. And that's who you are in Christ. That's who I am in Christ. He also uses this, this phrase here, workmanship, which is not workmanship like the, the guy who comes and, and maybe puts the drywall up. Now, there's some skill to that. I can't do that. Uh, but there's a difference between a, a common laborer and a finished carpenter. And there's a difference between a finished carpenter and a world-renowned woodworker. And Paul is talking about the world-renowned woodworker. He's talking about the person who can paint, who can sculpt, who can create something that people stand back for generations and go, oh my goodness, look at that. This is the kind of language that Paul uses to describe you and me if we are in Christ Jesus. We are God's masterpieces, his very best work. So I'm going to put a couple images up on the screen for you. One is of uh, creation. Uh, that is uh, Mount uh, Fuji in Japan. And that is the sun rising. And that's really not a very good picture. If you looked at it on your computer screen, it's phenomenal. Uh, but it's the very first sunrise of January 1st, 2012, ushering in the new year. And there was a, an, a person took it. You can see actually the tip of a, of a plane wing right there. They actually took it from the sky. When you think of how you look to God, when you think of how you, you appear in his eyes, do you have that, oh, wow factor? <laughs> do you look at yourself like a beautiful sunrise, like a glorious new morning? That when God looks at you, he catches his breath and goes, man, I did a great job in putting that one in Christ. It's absolutely stunning. It's absolutely here. She is absolutely beautiful. I'll give you one more, uh, not from creation, but from, from the art world. And again, it's a little bit fuzzy, but Cindy and I had the opportunity to be in Phoenix probably about 12 years ago now, and they had a Renoir uh, exhibit. And this is a, uh, the boat party picture that he painted in 1880, 1881. And I was shocked when I saw it. I thought it would be like, you know, on the canvas like this size. It's actually about five feet wide and about six feet tall. It's an enormous uh, oil painting. And you can go through this exhibit, and there were all kinds of different shapes of Renoirs, but you came kind of to the very end of the, of the exhibit, and here it was in this big open room, probably about half the size of, of this room. And you had to wait to kind of get up to the front of the line. You could put your headset on and listen to all the history of it. But every single aspect of this painting, the different, these are his friends. They, every one of these is actually a real person. And just the, the attention to detail is phenomenal. 
when you think about your worth to God, do you see yourself in terms of a Renoir? <laughs> do you see yourself in terms of a masterpiece? I struggle with this in my own life. And I think probably a lot of you who are disciples in Jesus do too. I think a fundamental sin <clears throat> that many of us commit, and it is a sin, it is a, it is a failure to believe that which is right about us. If God has saved us, if the scripture says this is who we are, <clears throat> then for us not to believe that goes against the word of God, and that is therefore wrong. And I believe for us a fundamental sin of many disciples is to refuse to believe that God's work in me results in a masterpiece, that I'm actually that incredible in God's eyes, as glorious as a, as a first sunrise in the morning, as beautiful as a painting. Do I understand that that's how I appear to God? I think most of us, or, or, or at least I'll say a good number of us, maybe not most of us, maybe this isn't your struggle, see ourselves in a different image, in a different picture. We kind of think of ourselves like a 1968 Chevy van that was abandoned just outside of Rolla to a guy who lives in a trailer that doesn't look much better than the Chevy van. And we, and we look at this verse and we read, for we, Paul says, we disciples are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And we go, well, God didn't do a very good job with me because <laughs> I'm really kind of a mess. I, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't get it all right all the time. I'm not like those other Christians who don't ever sin, who don't ever make mistakes. I'm, I'm not like all those, those, other, those other disciples who are all cleaned up and just following Jesus perfectly all the time. And, and part of our problem is, we, we look at ourselves in the wrong lens, but we also look at our brothers and sisters in Christ in the wrong lens. Because I don't know any Christians like that. And I know a lot of really mature believers in Jesus, and none of them fit the description I just gave. There isn't one Christian that's got it all buttoned down perfectly. There's isn't one disciple of Jesus that has grown so much in their faith that they never make a mistake, that they never sin. Our hearts still can lean in this direction. We need the grace of God every day. But friends, the problem is, when I don't believe in the transforming work of God, when I look at this verse and I read it, I go, well, intellectually, yes, it's true, but for everybody else, not for me, then where does that leave my life? Where does, what does that cause in my own heart? And I'm not going to put a big list up on the screen. I'm going to actually just leave the image up there for you to, to look at. Paint what you would on the side of that van. Shame, guilt, Continual sin, I just, you know, I give up, I quit. I, you know, yeah, I, want, I love Jesus, I want to follow him, but, but I just keep sinning, so, you know, what's the use? And time after time after time, we see the result of that kind of thinking, that we're the broken down 68 Chevy van, and it, and it has an impact on our marriages. It has an impact on the way we raise our children or the way we relate to our own parents. It has an effect on the way we do our work. It has an effect on the relationships we have with others. It has an effect on whether or not we tell other people about Jesus. Because if you're the used car salesman and this is what you're trying to sell, who's going to buy it? So you don't even bother. There's no point in telling somebody else about Jesus because I'm not, I'm not good enough. I'm just kind of broken down. And not believing this verse has a terrible impact on the practical, everyday living out of our lives. So how do we wrestle successfully with this sin. And I believe the answer to that is found right in the verse. Because not only are we God's masterpieces in Christ, but we are to be masterpieces in motion. Created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk 
in them. I want to pick these words apart very carefully with you, and I made some bullet points at the bottom of the screen because first thing we've got to do is, is get, the, get the message right, and then we can apply it. Understand that, that we, Paul says very clearly we're created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's the descriptive term in the verse. We're not created for neutral works. We're not created for bad works. We're not created for works that are successful part of the time. Another part of the time they fail. We're created for good works. In other words, God has prepared this for our benefit. The net result of being in Christ in this life is that my heart and my mind and my soul are every day being transformed into his likeness. So I begin to see the world differently, which means I begin to see myself differently. And I begin to believe that this verse is true. And when I step back, I say, when I, when I get out of bed this morning and walk out of the house and go about my life, I do so in the context of God giving me a good gift. He's made me alive in Christ. And he's called me to actively follow him every day. He's given me the opportunity for responsibility within his kingdom, and that is a benefit to me. Parents get this. Parents understand this. When parents give their children responsibility, you know, your child gets to a certain age and it's time for them to learn how to make the bed, right? They get to a certain age and it's time for them to use how to learn how to, how to make a bowl of cereal for themselves. They get a certain age and it's time for them to learn how to do their own laundry. At our house, the age where you learn to do your laundry was 12. And from the time you turned 12 in our house on, if you were one of our kids, mom and dad didn't do your laundry anymore. You did your own laundry. And as we got older, there were other responsibilities. And as our children grew, we gave them greater responsibilities and we gave them greater freedoms knowing that they were learning and growing into those responsibilities. That was a good gift to give our children. Our goal is not to protect them and keep them close and smother them. Our goal is not to make sure they never skin their knees. Our goal is not to, to make sure that nothing bad ever happened to them. Our goal was to give them the gift of work, the gift of responsibility, the gift of, of self-reliance in that sense of the word so that they could stand on their own two feet because there would come a day when they went off to college. There would come a day when, in the future where Cindy and I aren't here anymore and they're raising their kids and they become grandparents and they've got to be able to do that and giving them that gift that we prepared for them in advance. Cindy and I would sit down and we'd talk about it. Where are they now? Where do we want them to be a year from now and how do we get them there? And we did that because we loved them. We did that because we cared for them. And we did that because we knew we'd get in our mid-50s and we would be exhausted. And we just couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> and it's a good exhaustion now. You know, we, Cindy and I were at home on Friday night. And, uh, and I had been out of town for a one-day trip uh, to aboard me. And aboard I was on and I got back. And for 10 days, I told you this last week, I think we had baby Avery, right? And we sat down and we, we turned on the Cardinals game but turned off the sound. And I said, Cindy, do you hear that? Do you hear that? She goes, what? Nothing. <laughs> no babies, no nobody, no, no nothing. We can just kind of kind of be at ease and, and catch our breath because we gave our kids a good gift. I'm not saying we we're perfect parents. Trust me. We could bring all three of them in there and they could give you a litany of things we did wrong. But when God gives us good works to walk in, when God says, child, you're not only being transformed into the likeness of my son, but I have a job for you. I have a responsibility. I've made you a certain way. I've wired you so that you look at the world in a certain way so that you'll do certain things, and that's good for you because you find out that you can actually contribute to the kingdom of God 
And it also calls you to trust on me even more for your strength to do just that. This, these works are good. But also notice that these good works are that which we will walk in them. Paul wraps it up. Remember the last time we saw ourselves walking? We were walking in transgressions and sins. This passage is bookend with, with, with that term of walking. And when Paul in verses 1 through 3 explains our lives, he explains it in the context of walking in rebellion against God. But now the thing is totally flipped and we're going in a different direction by 180 degrees. We're now walking in these good works. We are intentionally, actively displaying God's grace. Now, friends, look at that carefully. We're not called to actively display our goodness. We're not called to actively display our self-righteousness. The idea is not to say, hey, look at me. Look how great I am. Look at Green Tree. Look what a great church we are. That is not the purpose. The purpose of these good works is that we may point people to Jesus. When folks say, why were you kind? Why were you compassionate? Why were you giving? Why were you, why were you caring? Why were you relational with that person that was hurting? You say, because Jesus did that for me. And he's given me the opportunity to share that with others. And we point people to Christ as we actively, intentionally display God's grace. And also note in this, the final part of this screen is that our actions are part of his master plan, which God prepared beforehand. God is very intentional about your life as a disciple of Jesus. God has wired you a certain way as a disciple of Jesus. Not everybody in this room looks at the kingdom of God the way you look at the kingdom of God. Not everybody in this room looks at the world around them in the same way you look at the world around you. Not everyone in this room has the gifts that you have. We have a myriad of gifts. We have a myriad of ways of looking at our community. And when you weave that all together in a tapestry, what you have is a community of believers who are all functioning under the master plan of God and the world gets changed for his glory and people come to grow in Christ. In other words, we end up being a new creation. Remember the Chevy van? Got another picture of it. Now that's not all that good of a, a picture. It was taken at night. Uh, but this Chevy van actually belongs to the senior class at Kirkwood High School. They paid a whopping $250 for it and went down to Rolla and bought it from a guy who lived in a trailer that looks a lot worse than the van does now. And they're going to use it for their chief decoration in their hallway for Spirit Week leading into the football game at Thanksgiving against Kirkwood and Webster, right? Every class gets to decorate their hallway. All The freshmen have a hall, sophomores, juniors, seniors. The seniors are the only class that are allowed to bring a car or a vehicle of some kind on campus. They have a wide hallway in front of the library that a car will fit. And so they came up with the notion of doing as their theme, uh, Scooby-Doo. And that's the mystery van. Now, there's a front picture of it. You see the headlights are actually on and working, and uh, the front window isn't quite in yet, but it's on the way. Don't recognize it, do you? It's a completely different van. It's now a new creation. It's now going to serve a greater purpose. It's no longer going to be discarded. If you happen to be around, I think they're trying to get it in the, uh, the Green Tree Parade next weekend, so you might actually see it go by if you're at the Green Tree Parade. But something radical has happened. What happened? Uh, a creative genius named Luke in the senior class of Kirkwood High School got his hands on this thing and coalesced a group of people around him to turn it upside down and make it something brand new. 
I'm really glad he uses his creative efforts in this way because if he ever decided to go in a different direction, he could be an evil genius. But look at what he's done. And you sit back and you go, wow, that's, that's pretty impressive. That's pretty cool that a, that a group of 17 and 18-year-olds could make that out of that piece of junk that we looked at a couple minutes ago. Exactly. It's what God is doing in your life if you're a disciple. God's changing you. You're going to be the mystery van. How cool is that? <laughs> you're going to be a work of art in Christ. That's what God is doing, and he calls us to believe that. That's really the application of this message. This morning there's a couple of them, but the first one is this. God calls us simply to believe that's true. I think you could spend the rest of your life working on that every day would be a great endeavor. And I think you could almost let everything else fall into place, and it probably would. You probably wouldn't have to worry too much about what do I actually go out and do? How do I actually use my gifts? I think if, if we actually embraced this every day, preached it to ourselves every day, I remember who I was apart from Christ. Now I, remember, now I know who I am in Christ and I'm just going to I'm going to sit and I'm going to absorb that and I'm going to soak it in every morning before I before I leave the house and every night before I lay my head on the pillow probably a lot of other things would sort themselves out in our lives. First application is to believe it's true. Ephesians 2:10 wasn't written for the person on your right or, the, or your left. It was, but it was written for you as a disciple of Jesus. When God looks at you, he sees his work of art. And then secondly, being intentional about God's good works for you and through you. And I've, and I've jotted this verse down just um, to, to clarify and make sure we understand this. Uh, I'm not pulling that application out of just Tom's opinion, but two chapters later in the same book, and in, in my Bible, I can actually look at verse, uh, chapter 210 and see verse four, uh, chapter 4 over here. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to do what? To equip the saints, that's us, for work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. So as I intentionally believe who I am in Christ and I go about my day asking the question, how am I going to do the work of ministry today? How am I going to build up the body of Christ today as a masterpiece of God? I don't know how God has wired all of you. I know how God has wired some of you. I know some of you better than others. And I know that God's wired some of you, and a lot of you that have this gift aren't necessarily in this room right now, but you're teaching little children. <laughs> a lot of the folks in our church that are gifted teachers are, are down the hallways right now in classrooms uh, living their faith out by teaching the little ones the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's wired some of you in, in the area of giving, and some of you have, have generosity. It's just, it's like, it's like, Breathe in air. That's just how God's wired you. Some of you have been given the gift of mercy. And anytime you see somebody that's hurting, I mean, when you saw the Chevy van, you felt bad because it had been neglected. You're like, oh, that hurts my heart to see that happen to a van. And I look at it and go, oh, well, who cares? It's, you know, I don't have the gift of mercy. But God has wired some of you the gift of mercy and compassion, and, and you care deeply. You feel the pain that other people feel, and that's a gift that God can use to build his kingdom. Some are called to serve. Some are called to, to relate to others and just be a kind and listening ear. There's all kinds of opportunities to build up the body of Christ. But we are being equipped for the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry is not the church staff. The work of the ministry is not the elders or the deacons. Yes, it is, but it's all of us. All of us are called to serve the kingdom of God by understanding who we are in Christ by understanding that we are God's masterpieces. It's trusting in God's rich mercy. It's trusting in God's rich mercy and grace for me, applied to my life, 
in Christ Jesus. And then it's walking, it's intentionally living in those good works produced by this truth. That's the foundation of the journey of discipleship. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word, which is so rich and so powerful. Father, we thank you that it is uh, discernible to the human mind because you have made it that. You promise that your spirit will take your word and will, will bring it alive in our lives so that we can not only understand it, but so we can understand that it applies to us. Father, I pray for myself as well as my brothers and sisters here this morning, those of us who wrestle with our own image. We know we are in Christ. We get it in our heads, but sometimes we just see ourselves as broken down and, and useless to anyone. Father, forgive us for believing that lie. It isn't true. There are a lot of reasons why it may have happened to us, things that have occurred in, in our lives at some point. Father, it may just be that others have told us we're, we're worthless and we believe them instead of believing you. But Father, whatever got us there, for, for any who, who wrestle with this sin, Lord, may your truth win out in our hearts. May we intentionally preach this to ourselves every day. Father, help us. Maybe all of us should just memorize Ephesians 2.10 and just repeat it to ourselves once a day. And then, Father, may we live out that truth. May we walk in that which you have prepared for us, for your glory, for our good, and for the growth of your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.